You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right. Welcome you. Grab your seats. Sit on down. We're going to have some cake after the service, so stick around for that. Love to hang out in the sunshine. I want to welcome you today. My name's John. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to preach the word to you today. I'm so excited to do that and share with you out of the Ten Commandments. We're coming to the end of our Ten Commandments series, a series of sermons through really this rich and amazing wisdom that God's given us in Exodus chapter 20. And today we're talking about the Ninth Commandment, number nine, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, why would God start with us this way? I don't know if you've ever wondered that. Uh, do not do this. Do not do that, right? There, there is something so important for us to grasp today, and I hope that you can catch this. I hope that you can hear this. God wants us to see, yes, that we don't want to bear false witness against our neighbor. Why? Because here's why. Because truth-telling, being a truthful person, is at the very core of what it means to be like God. That's what it means to be like God. It commands everywhere in Scripture. It's all over the place, but the first time's in Exodus 20, verse 1 and 2. So you can, if you have your Bible today, maybe you brought a paper Bible, you can turn there with me. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. And if you're able and you're willing, could you stand with me? Uh, part of the reason we do this is we stand on God's word as a foundation uh, for our lives, that, that really I'm basing my life off of his truth. So this is what it says in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says, then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then verse 16 you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, Lord, I pray today that you would open our eyes to see what it is that you're saying to us. Lord, give us a heart that loves the truth. Uh, speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Convict us and lead us into godliness. Lead us into righteousness. Lead us into a life of grace. We pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have your seats. Thank you. Thank you for standing with me, those of you that did it just because I asked you. I appreciate that. Uh, this really is God's word, and it's his truth for us as, as a gift. It's a gift given to us in love. It's God's revelation to us, and so we're thankful to God. Now, if you don't know what's going on in Exodus chapter 20, um, we got some work to do today, so I'm going to kind of try and get this through this as fast as I can. Exodus chapter 20, what has happened is God has gone into Egypt, into the, literally the house of slaves, and he has pulled Israel, his people, out of slavery. This is amazing, this thing has happened, and now they're in the desert, and God is getting slavery out of them. Israelites living 400 years enslaved by the Egyptians, right? And now God's helping them unlearn slavery. He's helping them unlearn uh, this broken way of thinking. And so God gives them the law. He gives them, we kind of read that in scare quotes, the law. Oh, I don't want to talk about the law. What, why, why is it written so negatively? Why is God giving us a negative thing? God is helping us, the readers, and also the Israelites discern what does it mean? 
for me to live a godly life? What does it mean for me to live a full and good life? This is what it looks like to not bear witness against our, not bear false witness against our neighbor. So why does it sound so negative? Pastor David mentioned this a few weeks ago, uh, but the truth is this, a negative command is actually more freeing than a positive one. You'd say, that's ridiculous. How's that possible? No, it really is. It really is true. A negative command is more freeing than a positive one. Uh, This isn't nonsense. Think about it, okay? Think about if you're a parent or how you would parent a child. You're going to send them out to play. Just get outside, right? Go play, please. Go play in the backyard. Play anywhere. Just don't play in the street because I don't want you to get hit by a car, right? That's the idea. We, We limit with preventative law. That's actually the nature of law. When we know what not to do, where not to go, to not touch the stove, we're free to roam about in our house. And so God gives us the law in a very similar spirit. And the ninth commandment is the same. Don't be false toward your neighbor. Why? Because you're gonna harm them. And you're gonna harm yourself. That way actually leads to death. So don't do it. You can see how the negative command actually helps us have more opportunity to live freely as individuals following God, that we're sentient people with with an ability to grow in wisdom and an ability to discern what is a godly life and to individually work it out. And God wants to trust us with that. I like what Pastor Daryl Johnson said about uh, the the Ten Commandments. He said, "The uh, the living and holy God speaks the Ten Commandments to protect and enhance a life of freedom. So this is why we have the Ten Commandments, to protect and enhance a life of freedom. If you want to argue about that later, we totally can, all right? So let's move on to you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. God is really showing us two things. Number one, he's showing us, well, he's showing us a lot. He's showing us many things. We're talking about infinite wisdom at this point. But today, specifically, he's showing us something about his character, something about who God is. And he's showing us how to be like him. In the ninth commandment, we're going to see, and I hope you can see this today, that loving, loving the truth is at the very core of what it means to be like God. Loving the truth is at the very core of what it means to be like God. That people who follow God love the truth, which means we hate falsehood. Why? Because falsehood destroys our neighbor. Falsehood destroys our neighbor. We want to build up our neighbor, and the truth builds up our neighbor, to use the truth to bless my neighbor, not to bear false witness against my neighbor, but to build up my neighbor. So let's look a little bit deeper at how this looks in our text, okay? We have some some words on the screen for you to follow along. But the two main places that the false witness law is found in Scripture, we see it repeated, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2 and 16, and then in Deuteronomy 5. And in my Bible, they read the same, but essentially they they read this way. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So what does that false witness word mean in ancient Hebrew? Well, in Exodus, the word is shakur, which means lying. Don't don't be lying against your neighbor. Don't be untrue or an untrue witness against your neighbor. In Deuteronomy, it says shah, okay, the word shah, so low internet speed. No, it means empty, vain, <laughs> insincere, or frivolous, right? So, we, so that's what we're looking at. 
When we talk about false witness against our neighbor, this is what it means to be a false witness. Don't be lying or untrue witness. Don't be insincere or frivolous with your words. It's pretty clear that the focus of the commandment is about, it's about being untruthful. I think we can catch that. Remember, God's gotten his people out of slavery. Now he's trying to get slavery out of them. Now he's trying to pull that toxic, enslaved behavior out of them. He's trying to get falsehood out of his people. God's making a new people, a nation to follow him. I want you to see something. If you have your Bible open, you can see, if you look, just the list, how much of these commandments relate to being in community with one another, relate to relationship with other people. Right? So it said the first four commandments are about loving God. The first six commandments are about loving our neighbor. Or the last six commandments are about loving our neighbor. You shall, not, you shall honor your father and mother, your neighbor. Do not murder your neighbor. Do not commit adultery with your neighbor. Do not steal from your neighbor. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's belongings. God is talking all about what it means to love our neighbor because God loves his neighbor and he's showing them that it's not, it's not okay to live uh, to hate your neighbor. It's not okay to live in a way that hates your neighbor. It's not okay to believe that kind of lie, that kind of slave thinking, that just lying about it is the fastest way through. God's saying, I am your help now. I am the one who will give you truth to live by. Don't bear false witness about your neighbor is another way of saying, <laughs> deceiving people will destroy relationships. Lies kill people. Lies kill people. Lies destroy relationships. And we know that's true. We know that's true, don't we? Lying destroys relationships. Maybe we forget quickly, I know we all do, about the last time we lied about somebody, but it's easy to remember the last time someone lied about us. It's easy to remember the last time somebody gossiped about us, somebody said something untrue about me. And it destroys relationships. It destroys relationships. It can happen in a lot of ways. You could bear false witness against your neighbor like in the context here in the court of law and we see that played out in society every day where people are just lying and lying to get their way through. But it's also like the word shaw. It's also empty. It's also vain. It's also frivolous speech. It's not just about giving false witness in a court but it's about falsehood in general. Many of us have experienced that. People lying about us and it's disheartening. And I just want to say, do you see how this is freeing? God lovingly forbids lying about other people because it kills people when we do that. We don't want to do that. God wants his people to thrive. He doesn't want us to kill each other with our words. And we can see this is true all over the Bible. I mean, honestly, we could go on all day talking about different passages, but I like how the writer of Proverbs says it in Proverbs 24, specifically in the New Living Translation. Let's go there on the screen. It says, don't testify against your neighbor without cause. Don't lie about them. And don't say, now we all know this feeling, right? Now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I can finally get even with them, right? The writer of Hebrews is repeating the law. We don't want to do this to our neighbor that destroys the possibility of neighborly friendship. When we lie, we bear false witness and we try to get even. With all the commandments, the teaching of Jesus doesn't just simply repeat them. He doesn't just simply you know, say them by memory. Jesus also, I think some of us 
have been taught this falsely, that, that Jesus gets rid of the law. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus loves the law. Jesus loves scripture. Jesus loves Old Testament. So he actually takes, he takes the Ten Commandments and he intensifies them. He intensifies them. A wise young man came to Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, then if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who's my neighbor? Jesus told him a story about the good Samaritan. Jesus intensifies this idea of neighborly love by saying not just the person that lives beside you, but the person that lives all around you. Every single other person made in the image of God, that's your neighbor. We don't bear false witness against our neighbor. We don't lie about our neighbor. We don't gossip about our neighbor. We love our neighbor. We build them up in the truth. Jesus talks about it. He intensifies what it means to not bear false witness about our neighbor. And then in the New Testament, Paul takes it a step further. He helps us see how each of the commandments is really like a coin. Okay, on the, on the one side, we see this negative imperative. Do not lie about your neighbor in court. But on the flip side of the coin, there's actually a positive command. So if you have your Bible, you can go to Ephesians 4.25. It'll be on the screen as well. We're gonna spend some time here. This is what Paul says. He's calling back to the law. And this is what he says. Therefore, ridding yourselves of falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Why? Because we are parts of one another. Because we are parts of one another. So, what is Paul telling us to do? What's Paul telling us to do with this commandment? We know what the Old Testament says, what Jesus says. What's Paul telling us to do? Why does he begin with the, with the words, ridding yourself of falsehood? Get rid of it. Because telling the truth, remember, telling the truth, loving the truth, knowing the truth is at the very core of what it means to be like God. It's the, so, so ridding ourselves of falsehood is the first step. Today, I think some of you guys need to take the first step to enter into a place of honesty with God. Those who love the truth hate falsehood because falsehood destroys our neighbor. Falsehood destroys our neighbor. And that's nothing new. I think a lot of people would say, well, John, all religions teach uh, don't lie. Uh, it's not, you know, Christian, Christianity is no different in that way. What do you mean? You know, it's like, okay, old news, man. Like, yeah, lying's bad. We get it. But it's very different than that, actually. It's a, it's a lot more nuanced than that. Where all religions kind of fall under this moralistic command. Don't lie because it's bad. Okay, so if you think of Professor Umbridge in Harry Potter, right? I must not tell lies. I must not tell lies. It's bad to tell lies. And that's why we don't lie. Right? That's really the religious way of talking about lying and why it's bad. But Christianity says something different opportunistic relativism, right? What's true for you is what's true for you. What's true for me is what's true for me. Would say, hey, you know, like, yeah, lying's not necessarily bad per se, but don't do it because you'll get caught. So it's just bad practice. It's just, it gets you in trouble. It's not pragmatic. It's not practical. Don't do that. But that's also not what Christianity would say about lying or why the truth is important. The Christian message is different and what does Paul say? He, say? he says, we rid ourselves of falsehood. Why? Because we are part of one another. Because we are members of one another. 
All right, so, but we've seen this even in, le- in the last two years, right? Every commercial on TV, we're all in this together. We're all a part of one another, so put on your mask, right? So we're all, the same kind of argument, but it's, it's actually a lot different than that. It's actually a lot different than that. The secular humanists would agree and say, John, we got you. We all agree what's true. We all agree what's hurtful. We voted on it. And so now we decided this is what's bad, this is what's good, and Christianity is an old message. John, have you ever heard of the harm principle, right? The harm. It's fine as long as no one gets hurt. So lying's okay, right? You've probably heard this. Lying's okay as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Deceiving, deceiving people's okay as long as nobody gets hurt by it. Uh, the harm principle actually guides us in all this wisdom. I think a lot of our culture has bought into this lie, and it's not true. And I'll, what, what is the problem with the harm principle, okay? Why doesn't it make sense? Well, it falls apart when you ask, how do you define harm? Because guess what? We don't agree. We don't agree on what is harmful. We don't agree on what is hurtful. And so all of a sudden, the majority votes, and we all say, hey, this is what harm is, but then the minority is harmed. And so how do we know what's truthful? How do we know what's wrong with the world? How can we define it? Can you define it? Can I define it? Can anybody? Who can know? Only God. Only God. If he is who he says he is, then only God can tell us. And what does God tell us? That falsehood destroys our neighbor. Christians aren't simply trying to do good because immorality is bad. Christians want to do good. They crave to do good because that's what God's like. That's what he's like. I want to be like him. And as I learn how to be like him, I learn how to relate with him. I learn how to relate to myself and other people. That as I rid myself of falsehood, I I speak the truth. I learn what it means to really be a neighbor. Telling lies, gossiping, exaggerating, omitting the truth, letting people believe a lie, deceiving others, it's all a symptom of falsehood. Following Jesus, that means that we rid ourselves of this way of life and we speak the truth instead. Well, what does that mean, to speak the truth? We speak the truth because we love the truth. We hate falsehood because it destroys our neighbor. And we know this, this is self-evident, right? If we're honest with ourselves, we know that the truth is the right way. We feel shame when we're false with others. So why do we do it? Why do we believe and tell lies? Why do we do this? What is it within me? What is it within you that makes you just keep getting back to this? I think one of the reasons sometimes we want to believe the lie to justify our own behavior. You're like, oh, that's not me. Well, let me give you an example. So you're driving along Highway 1, trying to get out of town for the weekend, and you see blue and red lights behind you. You have to pull over. The officer says, hello, sir or ma'am. Do you know how fast you were going? And you say, no, no, officer, I don't. I don't know. You know how fast you were going. You're on cruise control on 140, man. What are you doing? (laughs) You know how fast you were going. But what are you doing? You're even convincing yourself that that your behavior was okay and you're covering it with a lie. Or maybe you're, maybe, you're, maybe you're different. You believe lies of other people. 
so that you can scorn them instead of deal with yourself. Right? What does that look like? Oh, I can't believe he gave me a ticket. He's just a cop on a power trip. All cops are X, right? Ugh, is that true or are you just mad that you got a ticket for breaking the law? Right? We believe, we believe lies about ourselves and about other people. I, uh, I think a lot of us would admit to that freely. I think there's enough grace in this place to say, yeah, I've lied. I'm not sure we believe in grace enough to say I'm a liar. I think scripture shows us that we're a liar, that I'm a liar, that I'm more evil than I ever imagined, but I'm more loved than I ever hoped. The truth is we, we lie. I, I like Tim Keller once said, every problem that you have in your life is based on a lie buried down deep, buried down deep. We know we ought to be truthful with ourselves if we're honest, um, but we actually prefer ourselves over our neighbor. And that's what God's showing us. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Destroys your neighbor. Tell the truth. We believe a lie that we've been told. Uh, we, may, we, we may believe a lie that we want to believe. We may believe lies about other people, but the outcome is the same. It distorts the truth, and it destroys neighborly love. And it's not God. It's not how God does things. There's many lies, and there's obvious lies, uh, lies that probably as I'm talking, something's bubbling up in you. That's not, that's not your hunger. That's probably the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, hey, this is a lie. Is this, do you want to live under the burden of falsehood? Or do you want to get rid of that in your life? There's obvious lies, and I think I'll leave that with God and you to sort out. But I think there are other lies, um, other lies that are a little more, uh, how do I say this? They're sneaky, okay? These lies sneak into our lives, and they really wreak havoc on who we are. Um, it's the slavery in us that God wants to get out of us. So I do want to address some other kinds of lying that I think we do a lot. The first is a benevolent lie. These, these are great titles from Tim Keller. Benevolent lies, what does this mean? Well, it's a lie that's wrapped up in benevolence, isn't it? We, we, don't, we, we don't want to hurt somebody. Uh, we, we don't want to, to give them the truth, so we let them believe something that's false. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Uh, a lot of times people will... You'll see a couple, and they probably shouldn't get married, but nobody tells them, okay? And then, and then they just wait for the pastor to tell them, right? And we just leave it in a lie of omission. We're not truthful. We would embrace falsehood instead. Do you tell benevolent lies? Polite lies. There's polite lies. I think exaggerations it happens all too much. Oh, sorry, ma'am, you're overqualified for this position. We've filled, the, we've filled it with somebody who's more appropriate. I mean, they're, they're just being polite. They're puffing up your ego and, and lying to you. Or maybe you do this, right? You text your friends, I can't make it tonight. I have so much going on. And so they don't question you on it, and they just kind of let you bail, and you're out of community. And it's the polite way of bowing out, but it's a lie. It's a lie. There's white lies, Lies of omission. And I'll just say this. If your speech is ruled by flattery, 
If you're always, you are the greatest person in the world. You're amazing, man. You are the best thing ever to walk on God's green earth. And you keep saying that to everybody? <laughs> I mean, flattery, a mouth, a mouth filled with flattery actually leads people to not trust you. God's saying that actually breaks relationship. Sometimes it's easier to flatter people than to tell them what's true. It's more loving, though, to tell them what's true. I think I need to say this. There's, there's lies of prejudice as well. Lies of prejudice. And there's be, believing something and repeating. This is the worst part. We just repeat garbage that we hear about whole other groups of people. I'll keep it light for you because it's Sunday morning. So we, we believe a lot of lies about millennials, for example. Okay, that millennials are the laziest generation if they could just get their act together, right? It's just not true. It's just not true. If you ever got to know one, you'd actually, no, I'm not, maybe I'm projecting. Yeah? Okay. No, but the, right, the truth is, it's, it's more, it's a lot easier to label a whole group of people, and it's actually wrong. It's more loving to get to know them and actually get messy in, in the trenches with them, to actually ask them who they are, ask them to tell you their story. Lies of prejudice, sweeping generalizations about generations, about races. Come on, this is garbage. Generalizations about genders, it's lazy, it's unloving, and it violates the love of neighbor. We don't paint other people with lies because it's easier. We've got to take the time. In his, in his book, uh, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer, I think, really captures the, the heart of the ninth commandment. And I want to read this for you. Um, it's a great book if you're looking for summer reading, Live No Lies. Our war is not a war of guns and bombs. It's not against people at all. It's a war on lies. And the problem is less that we tell lies and more that we live them. We let false narratives about reality into our bodies. They wreak havoc in our souls. They wreak havoc in our souls. I think the most dangerous lies are the ones that we don't know are informing our lives. The ones we're not even aware, aware of. The ones that land with us and we live out. And we see, this, we see this come to light in prejudice. For years, I lived a lie for years, I lived a lie, and it formed my life. And, you know, growing up, it's over and over again. People, what people meaning for evil, right? Like, you're not, you're not smart. You're not, you're, you're stupid. You're this, you're that. And I actually believed that. I probably never would have said it out loud. But I let it inform my life. I let it shape my relationships. It actually really, I, had, I felt like I had to prove myself. I had to show people that I really was good enough for them. And I lived a lie. I couldn't bear the weight of falsehood on my life. And it wasn't until a friend, a Christian friend, <laughs> came alongside me and made me hear the truth. We speak the truth. He made me hear. God made you, man. God loves you. God cares for you. He, he, he has things for you to do in this life. He has given you his Holy Spirit, everything you have. You can rely on him. All your needs are found in him. It wasn't until I heard the gospel in that way that I started to see how much the lie was shaping me. But I, want, I wonder, like, how many of us have believed a lie? I get the, I get the pleasure of telling you, you, you've been duped. 
You believe something that's not true about who you are. I believed it, and it distorted everything. But what others mean for evil, God means for good. The ninth commandment is inherently relational. It's not just necessarily about receiving the truth. It's about being the good friend who comes alongside people and speaks the truth, that speaks the truth in love. Why? Because we're part of one another. What lie have you believed about yourself? Is it a past mistake that has defined you? That's cut you off from the future that you have no ability to progress because of what you did? That's falsehood. That God doesn't care about you or the suffering that you faced. It's not true. It's not true. Maybe you're believing lies about other people. What does this look like? Well, it looks like that other people matter less to God than you do. That when other people succeed, we feel, we feel like it's unfair. As if I matter more than they do. But that's a lie. As if others deserve less than you do. It's not true. God wants to light up the darkness in our lives. Give us the light of his truth. He wants to pull that slave thinking out of our life and welcome us into his law. Into a life that speaks truth because we want to build up our neighbor. See, the way we rid ourselves of falsehood is by learning and knowing the truth. That's how we do it. Learning and knowing the truth. Again, Christianity is very different than any other thought system or philosophy in the world in this way. We don't think that truth is a set of ideas written on a page that we have in a book, okay? We, that book points to the truth who is a person, Jesus Christ. The truth is a person. So much of our life goes off the rails when we stop treating God like he's a person. When we don't realize that Jesus Christ is the truth, is the way, do you think of him as a person? If you come to know him, if you have a relationship with him, then when you're honest with him, you're enabled to rid yourself of falsehood. You're able to speak the truth. You're able to live out the truth. It's as we relate to God, as, I, as I'm honest before God, I relearn what it means to be a neighbor. I relearn what it means to love. I relearn what it means to care like he does. <clears throat> Most practically, I believe that God wants us to live honestly with him. I, want, I think God wants you to live honestly with him. It was Anthony Bloom who once said that God can save the sinner that you are, but not the saint that you pretend to be. Okay? Is there pretending with God? God can save you. He can save the sinner that you are, but not the perfect person that you pretend to be. Being truthful is at the core of what it means to be like God. I love what Scripture says in 1 John 1, 7. Let's look at it on the screen together. But if we walk in the light, not so much purity, but the context is honesty. If we walk in the light, honesty, as he himself is in the light, the place of honesty, we have fellowship with one another. Then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's a place of honesty with God. Let me ask you, can a culture of 
falsehood and lies give you fellowship with somebody? Can misrepresenting who you are give you fellowship with somebody? Can pretending to be something you're not help you know God? No. (laughs) A community based on anything else, any lie about love, will fail under the crushing weight of falsehood. We rid ourselves of falsehood because falsehood destroys our neighbor. It's by the Spirit's working in our lives that we're transformed by the truth. It's by knowing Jesus that I see. And when, and when God reveals a lie in your heart, I want to tell you something about the gospel. When God shows you something, something that's wrong about your behavior, something that's wrong about the way you've treated another person, that's actually his grace saying, you're ready. You're ready to deal with this. So much of our sin is kept from our peripheral. We can't even see. But when God shows us something about our sin, he's saying, now, now you're ready. Now you're ready to come. Now you're ready to come and know my love. Now you're ready to come and receive grace. With all of the things that we have, we bring them to God, we we lift up our neighbor, we bless our enemy. That's when we're being like God. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis gives us a picture of what this looks like in our daily lives. This is what he says. Stick with me. This is what he says. But every time you make a choice, you are, let's go out there on the screen. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a creature, into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into that state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. As we rid ourselves of falsehood, we become transformed more and more into the heavenly creature that God wants us to be. That he's making you into be. So what does this look like for you going forward? Some of these notes are from David's classes. and I just want to be gentle with you today. I know there's a lot that God is probably saying to you about your life. But I want you to hear that if he's convicting you, it means you're ready. It means you're ready to experience his grace in a new way. But pr- practically speaking, what does this look like? It means coming to God, being honest with him, ourselves and others. Number one, it, it, might, mean, <laughs> it might mean we remain silent. Wait, what? Yeah, it might mean you remain silent. Sometimes silence is the best way to understand what people are actually saying. It's the best way to discern what the truth is that we don't speak when we want to. Silence has fallen by the wayside. I think in order for us to speak the truth, we need to be good at being silent. The second thing is we need to speak the truth in love. If we cannot speak what is true in a spirit of agape love, we shouldn't say it. We need to do the work to find out what it means to say it lovingly or not say it and trust God. 
Thirdly, I think it means we need to speak the truth graciously. Speak the truth with grace. When people don't reach the same conclusion as you, this happens to me a lot, but when people don't reach the same conclusion as you, just leave it with God. Treat them with grace. Respect them for who they are, that they're made in God's image. Live at peace with all people. Speak face to face. How many of you have been enraged this year by something you saw online? Well, this is, this is important for us. The less human contact we experience, the more the chance it is we're going to misunderstand somebody. We're going to take unintended offense. Our immaturity is going to come out. So slow down. Try and address it healthily. I do want to say, as you're dealing with seriously difficult situations, you're trying to understand politics. You're trying to say, what does it mean to be a Christian in this conversation? What does it mean to speak the truth of God into a conversation on gender? What does it mean to care for others? I do want to give you a couple handles here. And so, as you, as you, before you like a post of your favorite talker or your favorite person, before you share a file and send it to everybody who needs to read this, okay, ask yourself these questions. Does this message fit, does it fit within the larger story as I read in Scripture? Ask yourself, who would be harmed by this claim? If it's true, what if it's false? How does the communicator benefit from me sharing it with others? Is this virtue signaling? Is this cowardice? What is it? What does it require of me and of others? God wants you to speak the truth because that's who he is. He wants you to relate to him. He wants you to know how to relate to other people made in his image. So that's why we speak the truth and we're welcomed into that. I just want to pray for us. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you for uh, this powerful truth that, that you truly are the truth, Jesus. That as we step into the place of honesty with you, that we can be honest about ourselves and we can be honest with others because we know it's, it's really your opinion that matters most. Father, I, I thank you for this church and this environment of grace where we can be a people of the truth. We can actively seek to follow you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, would you help us with wisdom to, to know how to build up our neighbor in love? Father, I just want to pray for those that uh, have been living under a lie today, that they, uh, that they believe they're ugly, that they believe that they're stupid, that they believe that no one cares for them, that they believe they are their success. Lord, we, we ask for your grace to, uh, to sing over them a banner of love, that they are your son and daughter in, in Jesus Christ, that you love them, and there is no definition um, that is greater than your love. There's no past mistake that is greater than your forgiveness. Uh, there's no life without your truth. So Lord, I pray for, for my friends today that they would know you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.